Hey, I'm Gina. And I'm Tara. This podcast is a view into our lives as moms, social entrepreneurs, and best friends who hold nothing back. We talk about all the things our world has tried to keep silent. Things like our bodies. And all the stages and phases we go through. Entrepreneurship, parenting. And how it all intersects with life. Each podcast, we catch up with each other, and then we interview someone who pushes us to learn something new. You got your afternoon cup of coffee, huh? I do. Yes. Thank you very much. Do you want to tell everybody what we drink every afternoon now? Our new addiction? Blue bottle. Blue bottle coffee. It's so it's New Orleans. Was it hazelnut? No. I don't know what's in it, but Chicory. I like it. It's so good. It's like a treat every afternoon. Sugary goodness. We've gotten how many people turned on to this coffee now? Many. Is it chicory or hickory? That is the question. I think those are two different things. I think so too, but I don't know which is which. I don't either. But besides, it doesn't have a distinct flavor, but it's amazingly what? good. It's very distinct, which is why it's good. Oh, I meant like, it's not like when I hear chicory, I think like, oh, I'm not going to like that. Like if I hear vanilla and I'm like, no, I don't want that flavor. It has like a really amazing coffee flavor. It's the, sh- the sweetness. Like it's sweet me. and it already has the milk in it and I can get it quick so quick but I think that like we've like turned so many people onto it that like they're just flying from the shelves in Austin right now (laughs) (laughs) can barely get it delivered to the office seriously uh so we heavy discussion today heavy discussion we talked to Jessica Zucker from I had a miscarriage doctor Jessica Zucker yes um which I think it's important to say that the conversations today is a heavy conversation around miscarriage and loss. Um, and I think it's really, and I, what I loved about our conversation was talking about the spectrum of grief. Mm-hmm. And she brings up a term called reproductive competition, which that was the first time I had really heard something like that. Yeah, I love the definition she shares about it and how she's normalizing the conversation, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, because it really isn't. I think it stuns people if you talk about things like miscarriage openly. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're not really set up in our culture to understand what to say and how to say it and how to hold space. And, like, these things don't come easily. mm -hmm. Um, And we should all work at being better because it's so important to, like, just hold up the people around us and ourselves Mm -hmm. in these moments and to give each other space. And Yeah. I know that you had a loss. I did. I did. I had a miscarriage, a first trimester miscarriage in between um, my kids. So I've had three pregnancies, two births. Um, And I think that's why, you know, I was bringing up the spectrum of grief. Like, I feel okay about my story. And I know that not everyone feels okay. And Mm -hmm. like, everyone's in different um, points of their processing and journey. And I think that's important to say. But yeah, I feel like... It was a surprise after having, getting pregnant pretty quickly and then ha- giving birth to my oldest, Zelda, and then having a miscarriage. It definitely did ke- catch me by a surprise. Right. Um, it was very early on in this, like, what, you know, 
that time that most people when they're pregnant have that like feeling like, you know, just that thought in the back of your mind, like this is that time, the first 12 weeks where this could happen. That's a higher, more common. It probably is the most normalized time, right? We all in the beginning of pregnancy, I think most of us at least are Mm -hmm. aware that like, this is the time where it's kind of touch and go and not sure. Yeah. Not that it's easier. No, 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 not at all. But it definitely, I think, has that, um, it was a bit, that that was, in, that was in my mind as I was going through the process. But I will never forget, I was cutting up a rotisserie chicken. Mm. And I have that in my memory of feeling like a little, not a gush of blood, but definitely something present. And I immediately called my midwife and I said, hey, I just, I just started bleeding. And she said, okay, this can be, you know, normal. Let's just monitor it and see what happens. And let me know if it continues. And as I was washing my hands from the rotisserie chicken, I felt a huge gush come out. Mm. And I, t- I told her and she just said, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Like it was just like almost by her validating that so quickly, it made it feel like, oh, this is happening. This is, I'm having a miscarriage. And I was still in that space of like, what does this mean? Because I think bleeding in the first trimester, like. It can be normal. It can be normal. Another thing that's not really talked about. It does have this like scary stigma to it for this reason. Um, It was uncomfortable. I remember that, like physically uncomfortable. And I do remember passing like what looked to be more like a bigger clot. Mm -hmm. Um, but that also was, it, it gave me the opportunity to have this, um, like honoring and ceremony around it where I like, I held that and I just sat to like, sat there and thought like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually caught, like found this in, in this process. Um, and we planted it in a succulent outside of oh, the front of our house. I don't house. think I knew that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I did that with, with Zelda and she was like three ish at the time. And it was the first conversation around like miscarriage and reproductive mm-hmm. loss that I had with her. Yeah. And at the time for a three-year-old, it was just a couple of questions. And then she moved on to doing her, whatever she was doing at the time, coloring or busybody around the house. Um, Has she had questions since when it comes up or does it not, not come Not questions, but she does talk about like the baby that was not born. That's how she refers to it. Mm-hmm. And I like... I talk about a little bit about the moment, like I, I said the story out loud for the first time after I went through it, talk about that on the podcast. And, you know, we just, storytelling is a huge piece of reproductive health and it's what normalizes things and what's, it strips the stigma. And it's one of our favorite things to do here. Mm-hmm. Jessica Zucker is a Los Angeles based psychologist specializing in reproductive and maternal mental health. Jessica's writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, The Guardian, New York Magazine, and Vogue, among others. Dr. Zucker is the creator of the hashtag I Had a Miscarriage campaign. Her first book, I Had a Miscarriage, a Memoir, a Movement, came out in spring 2021 with Feminist Press and Penguin Random House Audio and is available wherever books are sold. You can find Jessica Zucker on Instagram at I had a miscarriage. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Jessica. We're really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, Why don't we start out a little bit with um, who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your background and how you got into your work. 
Sure. So I am a Los Angeles-based psychologist, and I specialize in reproductive and maternal mental health and have done so for over a decade at this point. And I think what a lot of people don't know about me and my work is the fact that I specialized in this field before going through a second trimester miscarriage firsthand. Mm -hmm. So I think people understand or sort of um, infer that perhaps I sort of switched focus in my career uh, based on going through uh, this traumatic loss uh, in real time, but instead it actually worked totally the opposite. So I had been sitting across from people talking about miscarriage, struggling to get pregnant, stay pregnant, stillbirth, perinatal and postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, mm -hmm. the whole spectrum, uh, you know, and at that point in my career, prior to my loss, it was really sort of all theoretical, my interest uh, in reproductive and maternal mental health. And once I went through this loss corporeally, like once I understood it through my body, mm -hmm. uh, it really changed who I was as a person, of course, and the trajectory of my work. Yeah, I'm sure it did. When, when was that? You said you started your practice like 10 years ago. Let's what see. What happened for you? Yeah. So my loss was in 2012 mm -hmm. and I had had a very smooth and uneventful first pregnancy with my son who is now 12. Mm. Um, yeah. So even during that pregnancy, you know, again, I was sitting across from people who were sharing all of these frightening and traumatic stories and somehow my anxiety wasn't peaked at that time. I mean, naively so. I mean, I knew the yeah. statistics. Of course, I knew the research. I knew all of this from textbooks and everything. But I hadn't, you know, come face to face with it until until I did in my second pregnancy. And I was 16 weeks in. Um, I started spotting on a Tuesday mm -hmm. in October. And I went directly to my OBGYN and everything looked perfect. And the following day I went to work because she said that, you know, I could, if I felt up to it, but then on my drive home from work, I started having what I now understand to be contractions, you know, Braxton yeah. Hicks contractions. And, uh, so the following day, unfortunately the baby came out while I was home by myself oh and my yeah. So given my relationship with my OBGYN, she coached me by phone sort of what to do and uh, medically. And so I had to cut the umbilical cord myself and, mm -hmm. and promptly began to hemorrhage. And uh, my husband came home immediately. And then we brought the baby in a bag to her office. And because of the extreme blood loss, I ended up having to undergo an unmedicated DNC uh, wow. so the whole thing from start to finish, uh, you know, was, it was a blur and also yeah. the most impactful thing that I've, you know, ever been through to date. So, wow. Well, thank you it for changed me. That. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm sure it did. And, um, you know, it's just, it's such a, these moments in our life really just mark certain chapters, you know, in the cycles and phases and stages of reproductive health. Um, but I, I feel like it's just, 
you know, we, we've been in the reproductive health world for 20 years and we know the importance of storytelling and how useful it is. Um, how like we're from the experience that you went through, did you feel like you wanted to tell your story right away or did it take time? Mm-hmm. That's such an important question. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I've always been a writer or somebody who's loved to write, mm-hmm. uh, through my you know academic years and, and otherwise. So I had been writing sort of about things that weren't, um, essays, like, you know, it's personal pieces. I had been writing about postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, things like that in the field. Uh, but, uh, you know, upon this happening to me, I really had to kind of originally like sit with what does this mean? How would the world embrace this? And the world meaning, you know, my smaller world. So like my current patients, previous patients, potential future patients, how would this be received? Um, if I were to just kind of tell my story in all its raw detail, So I wanted to take time and my original, my first piece, I actually decided to keep anonymous because it felt really important to me to be able to say exactly what I wanted to say without worrying about how I would be perceived or how patients might feel about me or my pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really wanted to take on this idea of reproductive competition Um, This idea of comparing and contrasting reproductive journeys, uh, grief, hardships, these kinds of things. And I didn't want to edit myself. And so that was soon after my loss. And I got pregnant very quickly after my second trimester miscarriage. Uh, And so... I sort of stayed quiet on the topic, at least from a personal point of view, um, through the pregnancy because I was so scared. Uh, I was hardly sort of breathing through that entire pregnancy. But then she was born in December. And then the following October is when I really started the I Had a Miscarriage campaign. So I started the campaign with my first New York Times piece. And at that point, I had really had the opportunity to digest what had happened to me and what I felt I needed to do in the world. It it kind of felt like, you know what, I am not okay with the fact that the research shows that a majority of women feel a sense of shame and self-blame and guilt following miscarriage uh, and stillbirth and all of these types of losses. And And so I sort of took it upon myself to be like, you know what, we can't live like this. You know, this is this sort of insidious, patriarchal, Mm -hmm. uh, antiquated way that we've been living uh, that leaves us feeling, you know, living on the outskirts and feeling all the more isolated in in the exact moments when we need community and connection. And so I decided to use my own story to sort of model for other people. This is what it can look like to reveal yourself and to Mm -hmm. be vulnerable and to risk it all, I guess. Um, And so the first part of the piece is really sort of a a personal retelling uh, in all the gory details of what happened to me. But the second part of the piece is really inviting other people to do the same. And 
in no way do I think everybody needs to get on a rooftop and talk about their miscarriages, because of course that's not, you know, um, necessarily what everybody wants to do. And that's not necessarily important, but it's more like I wanted to invite people to question, like if I'm not sharing these things with other people, is it, is it born out of shame? Mm -hmm. Have I been silent about what I've navigated because I'm embarrassed or I feel like, quote unquote, less of a woman or broken or all of these things that I've heard in the context of my office and shows up in the research? Um, I want people to question these very simple and very profound notions. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's. I think it has a huge impact and like the storytelling piece and like being in that vulnerable state that you're talking about of sharing your story. It's, it's so powerful and it has such, you know, I just think it holds a lot of weight. I think on the other side of it is just as, as um, important where um, people are discovering how to respond to people's storytelling. They're learning or like trying to learn what to say, what not to say. And I think that is, one of the biggest pieces that I've seen people grapple with over the years being a doula is just like, what do you just say to somebody? And I remember um, I had a miscarriage in between uh, both of my, uh, I have two, I have two kids and I had a miscarriage in between. And I remember I went to a wedding pretty soon after, and I was catching up with some, you know, girlfriends there. And there was five girls in a circle and they were like, how are you doing? And I shared my story and I just said, Oh, I, you know, just, we just went through a miscarriage and they all stopped and froze and blinked at me. And one was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know, thank you. I'm, I'm doing good. We're good. And one person said, I honestly have no idea what to say right now. And I was like, that's totally fine. But it was interesting how it just shifted the conversation and it shifted the energy around us. And like, no one really knew how to pick up the conversation after that. And I was like, this isn't normalized. Like, it's just not, it's not something that people really know how to have a conversation about. I also am curious too. what stuck out to me with your story of that day that you miscarried was, or the day before, I guess, when it was, when you were starting to miscarry and you went to your doctor and you were told to go back to work the next day. Um, and you know, as people who work, um, in supporting folks through big transitions, I took a deep breath when you said that, cause I was thinking, were you really prepared? What with what was going to happen? And did mm -hmm. you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go to work or maybe that is, I'm going to actively decide to, because I know myself well enough that that's going to help me get through this or what kind of support or narrative did you have in your own head around that? The, the latter for sure. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually very close with my OBGYN and um, I feel so lucky for that. And uh, she's acknowledged in my book because of it. Um, yeah. So she just said, if you're up for it, you can go. Mm -hmm. If you're not, don't go. I mm -hmm. just felt, I think I was, and I, a lot of people tend to do this. And I see this in a lot of trauma situations. And I'm sure you do too, as doulas, like, you know, you want to hold on to what feels normal so badly, like yeah. on the precipice of sort of having an inkling or an insight that like your life might might, might be about to change. Like, as you know, it like might just burst or go into flames. Like, I don't know. I think we grasp at the pre loss version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, you know, I love my work so 
profoundly. It's very intimate. And I just, it didn't make sense, I guess, for me to just sit around all day waiting to find out if something bad was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because the heartbeat looked good, the placenta looked good, like everything seemed okay. Mm-hmm. And so it was very possible. It was just this kind of, you know, anomaly. I, I knew on some level that it wasn't, but it was possible medically that, the, you know, that it wasn't a miscarriage given the fact that I was 16 weeks and, uh, you know, my OBGYN really hadn't seen something like this before, mm-hmm. but I felt very supported by her and also, but also very lost, you know, like, where do you turn? Um, like you were just saying, you know, you were surrounded by a group of close girlfriends at a wedding and no one really knew what to say or do. And I, I did turn to friends over text that night, like, wait, mm-hmm. I think I'm losing this pregnancy. Like, mm-hmm. And one friend told me in retrospect that she thought I was sort of like, I don't know, losing my mind because she was like, how can you have a miscarriage at 16 weeks? Like you're tripping. Like, I mean, so it's, it was interesting to hear later people's interpretations of what was happening and how they too felt so overwhelmed by my, um, my overwhelm, but they didn't know how to support me. And, 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 you know, it's like we, we find ourselves in these positions. Why? Because, like you said, these conversations are not normalized. And mm-hmm. so we it, we do ourselves a disservice by not talking more openly about all of it. So true. I want to go back to something you said again, like my my um, doula antennas went up. <laughs> but you said something and you named it reproductive competition. And I would love for you to like explain that more and go a little deeper on what you, how you would define that. Sure. I mean, yeah, I I haven't thought it through enough maybe, but I have written a bit about it and I would love to write something bigger um, on the topic because it's problematic. So, I mean, I see this in the grief world. Wow. You know, I would have died if I were you having a loss at 16 weeks. That's terrible. I'm so lucky that mine was in the first trimester or, you know, oh, it's unimaginable to go through a stillbirth. I can't believe that uh, you had to go through that. I wouldn't be able to get through something like that. These these subtle but demonstrative ways that we in in a way work to make ourselves feel better. Um, again, I don't think it's conscious and I don't think we're trying to hurt anybody, of course, but it's, I think it's this kind of, um, way in which we want to show how quote unquote successful we are in our own fertility. Oh, well, I get pregnant really easily. So, because for me personally, I do get pregnant easily. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting when people assume that I have a quote fertility struggle. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes these issues get conflated and we struggle to kind of just own where we are. So why does somebody need to say something that belittles or magnifies what we've been through? Yeah. Uh, so in, in the piece that I wrote where I talk about reproductive competition, I'm really talking about like, can we just own our own stories without falling into what I think is this kind of, you know, patriarchally led competitive world that we live in? 
Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's um, a complicated one for many folks out there. And, you know, I, that's what I really appreciated about that person, one of the, in the circle that I was talking to at the wedding who said, I have no idea what to say right now. I was like that sometimes, most of the time, it's great. It's fine. You know, it's like kind of calling out that discomfort, calling out that place of like processing, but in a way that doesn't feel competitive. Exactly. And it's what I love about that is just how vulnerable she was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. Because I think when we try too hard to say something, when we don't know what to say is when we put our feet in our mouth and say something that starts with a phrase like at least, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. At least you have a healthy child or Mm -hmm. God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. These, these platitudes that people rely on that are incredibly painful and off-putting most of the time. I think the, so it started with this Instagram really campaign, I think is what it's called now. I'm sure back when you started, it it was like, I'm going to start talking about this on social media. Um, But now you have a book out. Tell us more about that pivot and how it feels to have a book out there. Yeah. So originally, actually, so that first New York Times piece, I was like hoping to do a call to action. And I was not even on Instagram at the time. I was only on Twitter. And luckily, that piece went viral. And so did the hashtag. And that's sort of how that took off. And then uh, the following October, so October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And so I launched the piece on October 15th uh, for that very reason. And the following year, I launched a line of pregnancy and infant loss cards and to kind of fill this gaping hole that I saw uh, in culture around what to say and what not to say and how to support people in the aftermath of loss. And because of their visual nature, that's when I hopped on Instagram and uh, realized that I should have been there all along. Um, <laughs> I'm sort of late to the party on all these things. I'm not even on Facebook. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I'm so, barely on Facebook now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just hard to keep up with all of these things. But yeah, and I mean, little did I know what I was honestly doing with with all of this. Honestly, I just I didn't have. Um, I had a vision of of being part of changing culture, but I didn't have a long-term plan in terms of what I was doing with the campaign or the hashtag or whatever. And then I began, you know, writing freelance writing vigorously on various topics, um, life after loss, sex after loss, Mm -hmm. masturbation after loss, pregnancy after loss, parenting after loss, all of it. And eventually someone came to me and said, you know, what about a book length project? And I had of course, been thinking about it, but it felt very daunting, the idea of sinking my teeth into something uh, that long term, especially while parenting and working and all of that. Uh, But then I realized, you know, this is a perfect punctuation of all the work I've done. And it felt like I loved the idea of of the tangibility of a book um, and people not just reading on the internet uh, about my perspectives, but instead sort of having something to hold while they're dealing with loss, uh, and life after. So I went for it and it came out in March, which already feels like a lifetime ago somehow, because <laughs> a lot has happened since, but, um, so true. 
but yeah, I really, I did. I put my whole self into the book and I'm, I'm very glad that I did. Congratulations. It's a huge, uh, feat to, you know, to go through and, um, it's really exciting that you did. And, you know, I think it's, it's, we, we, you know, we really hold so much value to these conversations and the storytelling. So I think it's, um, so far from what we've heard in our community and especially, um, all of our doulas in training at DTI, that's like getting really high positive praise. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. So, um, I also wanted to ask you a little bit to hear from what your experience was when you heard all of the stories that flooded in from your Instagram account and also probably inspired you for the book, I'm sure. Um, but were you surprised at, you know, I know it went viral, so that's always like exciting because you're resonating with people, but what were some of the stories that you were getting back and what was um, a surprise there? Yeah, I, I continue to this day to be flooded by stories and, I will say, and I was just talking about this with a friend on a walk yesterday, actually, she works in the grief world and we were talking about what it's like to receive these stories. And especially after, you know, years and years of them. And at this moment in time, and as you know, so two weeks uh, to the day after my book came out, I had, I went to a routine mammogram. I had felt something anyway, but I hadn't been in a while because of COVID Mm. and um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I, you know, just four weeks ago had a bilateral mastectomy and am about to start radiation in a couple of weeks. Luckily I learned that, you know, the cancer did not reach my lymph nodes and I will not be undergoing chemotherapy. So that part, uh, I feel lucky for right now, but sorry, it's like such a, such a journey to have uh, it come out and then go to that visit. I mean, really all the ups and downs right there. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, I, it's true. I mean, I had never felt so high with the book because, you know, it was mentioned in the New York times the day of launch. And I mean, it was just so gratifying and beautiful. And then this was like, I've, the the low was, was, uh, devastating and still surreal, Mm -hmm. but all of that to say that receiving people's messages right now about their miscarriages, I I can't, I can't take on more. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm normally somebody who like the, the more, the merrier, because I have so much compassion. This is my life's work. Uh, you know, I, I feel like my work is about healing and about love and about life. And, but it's interesting, you know, I I think we all have to figure out where our edge is and where our limits are. And right now I've reached one, um, So for years and years, I replied to everybody as soon as I could. And Mm. I sort of expected this of myself. And then I realized it was an impossibility. I don't even have somebody who helps me with my Instagram account. So it's like, I don't have an assistant that can sort of help me navigate this stuff. So I've, I'm trying really hard actually to be gentle with myself and realize, you know what, people must not expect to hear back. They know that if they want to have access to me, they can schedule an appointment. Um, and hopefully they get enough from my content and the book and all my other writing that, uh, if they have a question that they need answered, maybe they can find it there. I just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Cause like to spend my work day 
helping people through it, to have also lived through it, to have written the book, and now this. It's, yeah, so it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, to, to not be able to address everybody all the time. Right. right. And I think in many ways you are addressing everyone just with, you know, mm. the writings that you're doing, um, Thank you. including the book, as well as like every post that you do on Instagram and story and sharing, you know, so much of yourself that is more than enough. So I hope that you really can give Thank yourself you. grace there. Yeah. Thank and you. Give this, I should try. Yeah. <laughs> and that you're, you know, give your, yourself the space and time to like go through this journey that you're at right now. Healing. Yeah. yeah. Healing and Thank processing. You. I think it's, that is the power of storytelling or that like someone else will share the story now that, especially now that the book is out yes. and the ripple effect is so great. Right. Um, that it doesn't all have to be on like, you know, one person. So I think it's really, it's really important and powerful. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I have shared about the breast cancer. So some people that were already in my Instagram community are reaching mm -hmm. out saying, you know, thank you so much. I've had miscarriages and I've also had breast cancer or I'm going through it right now. Wow. And back to this sort of reproductive competition idea, I'm noticing that it's really, um, potentially, sort of dangerous for me to swap stories in the cancer space right now, because hearing about pitfalls and hardships have, mm -hmm. have like only worked to kind of increase anxiety. And then my experience so far has been so remarkably smooth, mm -hmm. but I look back and I'm like, wait, Oh, this person had said it would be like this. So I was intensely concerned, got to the appointment and my appointment went so differently. So it's, yeah. you know, we just have to be careful. I think, especially in that nascent time, like that very tender it's happening right now time, uh, to kind of lean into support that we can get, but also make sure we know where we're getting it. Absolutely. So, so you know, so that we don't take on too much. I 100% agree with you. And it's, I think maybe since the pandemic, it has been this time and space for people to stop, feel their feet on the ground and ask each other how they can best support each other. You know, I, I really do feel like the world kind of went inward for the first time in a long time. And we needed that. I think it's really like grief was at the forefront of the pandemic. And I think it was just really a great learning lesson. Uh, well, I'm, thank you so much for sharing all of your stories. Um, one thing that we like to do at the end of our interview with guests is play a little reproductive health game. And we were wondering if you'd be game to play the game. Sure. Of course. I, I will try. Awesome. Well, what it is, is we spin a wheel and, uh, the arrow lands on a random question. We ask you the question. So I'm going to go ahead and spin for you. Awesome. And okay. So the question is, what is the most helpful thing that you were told during a reproductive health event? Mm -hmm. I mean, this, maybe this seems overly simplistic, but I would say that what, what I felt from my team around my miscarriage. So, you know, mostly my, my OBGYN and, and my closest friends and family, uh, the overarching message of feel your feelings, you know, 
be wherever it is you are and know that you're not alone. So, mm. you know, because, and, and I echo that so much in my practice and my writing, but like, it's one thing to say it and to hear it. It's another thing to actually feel it and believe it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think given the statistics, given the fact that one in four pregnancies result in loss, you know, it's, we truly are not alone. And through so many reproductive related issues, of course, we're not alone, but because so many are shrouded in silent stigma and shame, we feel excruciatingly alone. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for talking with us today. It was a really a, a pleasure speaking with you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Jessica Zucker at I had a miscarriage on Instagram. Be sure to also check out her book. I had a miscarriage, a memoir, a movement narrated by Jessica herself and available everywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for tuning in today. The Born Into This conference will be back September 25th and 26th, 2021. It will be a virtual gathering of community building, conversation, and creative sessions, all exploring parenting, reproductive health, hormones, sex, and birth. Head to our website, bornintothis.co, for more information and tickets.